The Lord be with y'all. Hey folks, welcome to the season finale of season one and distancing diaries. I've always wanted to say finale. Well, um, these were young adult stories and voices uh, from the pandemic and folks from around our diocese and uh, around the country. And we hope you've enjoyed. Uh, you have arrived at uh, you have arrived <laughs> now that you've listened to this podcast you've arrived you have transcended uh no just kidding we have arrived at the close of summer and the close of this season of this podcast so we are so grateful and thank thankful that you have tuned in and listened but you know what uh school is starting well virtual school is starting um colleges and universities are returning Oh my goodness, God help us. Um, and meanwhile, the pandemic rages on. And so we wanted to close out this season with a little wrap-up of themes that we heard, uh, conversations that struck us for various reasons. And I recently spoke with our lovely co-hosts, Eliza and Caleb, and uh, I really hope you enjoy this wrap-up episode. And, oh, uh, stick around for the outro, because we'll be announcing plans for season two. You'll be excited, hopefully, um, and you definitely don't want to miss, so stick around. But without further ado, here is a conversation with Eliza and Caleb. takeaway from like this whole thing that we have done is that everyone we interviewed has different challenges in this pandemic um but everyone also has unique insights that they've come away with it from it as well you know so it's like it's this double-sided thing right like it's it's challenging but then it's also given us insight you know everyone's been tested in some specific way everyone's gained some kind of wisdom at the same time. And a lot of that wisdom has to do with what faith does for us in really like challenging times and why having faith is so important. So that's kind of like the binding similarities that I saw between like with all of the people that we talked to, if that makes sense, whether they were parenting or um, trying to minister to people, you know, or, um, or teaching or, or whatever, being a, a, a healthcare worker, like that seemed to be kind of the main sticking point for, for everyone, which I thought was cool to realize. Yeah. And like, <clears throat> sort of, I guess, speaking of common threads, one of the things that I really noticed was this really strong desire on everybody's part to, um, to like do good, like to be a force for good in the world. And I think you can see a lot of that reflected in even like the, the professions that they are in. Right. So the first interview um, was with your roommate and she, she's a, she's a teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you have people who, who, who do teaching, you have people working in, in healthcare. 
people, I mean, you know, Jack works in scientific research, but the point mm -hmm. of scientific research is to help people. Right. <laughs> so yeah. um, it's not quite as like hands-on maybe as being a social worker, but like, I mean, I think we, in a pandemic, it's really highlighted how important scientific researchers are mm -hmm. in helping people because that's what we really need right mm -hmm. now. And I think one of the things that I kind of picked up on as a weird undercurrent was um, the pandemic seems to be kind of frustrating because what it does to people who already feel like the world is a place overwhelmed with need is it spikes up during a pandemic. How do you, how do you make that difference in people's lives as a teacher when you can't interact with them on a one-on-one -on -one basis? Uh, when you're working in the psychiatric ER at UNC, how, how do you help people? I mean, when you've already got too many people who can't get proper assistance before something like a pandemic happens and makes everyone's anxiety go through the roof. How do you help them while also putting your, you know, your own health and, and risk on the line? Uh, when you're, you know, one of the things that I got from the conversation with Laura is that being a chaplain in a, like a small private college in, in West Virginia, you make a huge difference in people's lives. But when they go back home, you know, you don't know that they're going to have, especially with a lot of first generation students, you don't know that they're going to have connections to, uh, technology that are going to enable you to make that kind of difference and provide them with like a solid spiritual foundation um, at the same time. And then the, the interview I did with uh, Zandra and Kristen about working in higher ed and in a, again, in a small private college situation, like how do you balance out what the university needs to stay going versus the, the needs of the students and the you know, fundamental respect that you have for them to not like want to bring them back on campus and make them sick. So, yeah, like yeah, there's a lot of tough decisions <laughs> that are being made. And I think like when you were talking about how, like, I think it's easy for us to say, and it's true, like teachers and healthcare workers are kind of like essential, right? And it's obvious to see like where their impact is. But even when you were saying like with Jack, who's in scientific research, that may not be as like obviously, you know, oh, clearly they're having an impact. But as you said, like he really is, right? And so it's almost like this time of realizing that we all depend on each other. And there's there's a part in the prayer book that I think about a lot, which is, I can't remember the exact wording, but it's like, let's not forget how much we, it's something about how let's not forget how much we depend on each other. I can't remember what the exact wording is. Maybe you guys know what I'm talking about. It's like, Oh, Eliza, are you, are you testing the priest to see if we know? <laughs> well, we know our prayer book. Person, so but I can't remember. It's something about like, we're intertwined together or something like that. I don't know. But I, I think about that a lot because we tend to, there it is. Oh, uh, we have somebody going right to the source. James has right. the prayer book out. Of course, yes. it's right here on my desk. It might be morning prayer. Or, I don't know. But anyway, it's something about mm -hmm. not forgetting, like really not forgetting that we that we all depend on each other, um, on the work that we each do. And I think yeah, well, it's made that even clearer, and it's humbling. Well, know? I think that's a good, I think that's a really good point. And... I think that is also something that's reflected in St. Paul. I can't remember which one of the letters it was, but he talks about how, um, you know, an eye needs to be an eye, like a foot needs to be a foot. A hand needs, like you can't, there's, there's no extra glory in being something that you're not. Um, and there's actually a really profound sense mm -hmm. of understanding one's vocation that comes with knowing who you are and what you're called to do and doing that. And I think one of the things that talking with people from such different kinds of, um, 
that are all kind of helpers, I guess you'd say, but in very different kinds of capacities is understanding like how it does kind of take all the parts to make the whole, you know, like, and, and once you remove, I mean, you know, you remove the, the research aspect of it, then what are the healthcare people going to be doing, right? You remove the healthcare aspect of it, then the point of the, I mean, the researchers can do whatever they want, but it's not going to go anywhere. Um, and I think that's a really profound spiritual discipline that we maybe have a hard time with in our society because we like to commodify what people do with their lives. Like, and so we, you know, we want to put like money on it or we want to say, oh, if you're going to do this, then you have to have like, you know, all in order. And then like, this is how you're going to go out and, and conflate vocation with like, like your work, which yeah. can definitely happen. Um, but then when you do that, you start to monetize it. And then I wonder if people don't necessarily see how much, um, value there is yeah and they like maybe miss the spiritual connection to like what they do with most of their waking hours in a day yeah yeah you made me think of something that uh with 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 paul and being interconnected and with this new meaning that we found for everything that we do whether it's in our vocation or whatever that that the root words of of religion it means to connect Mm -hmm. like like ligament you know like, mm-hmm. like sinew, like body of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. That we are all connected. And then on the flip side of that is uh, the root word of demonic and demon means like to separate. Mm. So like something that's keeping us apart and then something that connects us. And I yeah. think maybe like an undertone of, of all, all of these interviews that y'all have done has been that an element of this need for connectedness right now and maybe even this podcast in a way is a way to connect right that we have this interdependence on each other and this this need to not be separated right you know and and that's not to say like well is is COVID-19 like the work of of the devil or something like I don't know if we should read into that I don't think that the suffering is caused by any outside force. It's just, it just happens. Right. But well, you know, I mean, Ecclesiastes does say time and chance happens to all. So I'm willing to chalk right. a, a COVID-19 into that category. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Firmly lumped. Yeah. And I, would, yeah. I, I think what you just said, James also just makes me think about, you know, how into um, individualism we are as a culture, right? And we buy into this lie, which I think this pandemic has revealed to be false, this lie that we can just, we could literally go about just living our lives without having to connect with anyone if we didn't want to, or without having to depend on anyone, right? Um, Especially if we are privileged enough to be able to do that, right? And and we're not depending on services or, or whatever. Um, it's really easy to just go to your professional job and not think about, you know, whatever, like the person who cleaned up the subway or something. I'm, I don't live in New York. I don't know why I mentioned the subway, but you get what I'm saying. Like the, the people that make all of that important uh, or that, that, you know, care for our daily lives in ways that we don't always see or acknowledge, if that makes sense. That's true. And, you know, what, one of the interesting things is that before the pandemic, right, I mean, before any of that, we're already having a lot of problems with, you know, people in our age group not feeling connected, like kind of feeling isolated, feeling, you know, struggling with a sense of self and purpose and things like that. So, I mean, 
I think part of it too is just really like it, it really feeds into what you said, Eliza. About there's there's this this notion of um, this, this this fiction that we can just sort of exist in our own little bubbles and that everything isn't really kind of dependent on everything else. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when we neglect to honor the fact that we're all connected in this way is we go around and we're like, Oh, I feel so isolated. I feel like I, I, you know, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels, my anxiety's through the roof. It, it contributes to things like depression because we're just at the end of the day, not honoring like an intrinsic part of who we are mm -hmm. when we don't honor our connection to other people. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and the I thing about it is it, it makes it easier to mistreat other people when you don't really think that you're connected. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and it keeps you from, I think the thing that people run away from is having to be vulnerable, right? Like having to be like, no, I'm not God. Like I need other people. I need you in my life to, to not be lonely, right? Like it requires some kind of humbling. And I think people are so scared of that, Right when really it would make their life probably a lot better, a lot fuller and richer, but, but we're just so scared. So yeah, maybe in a way this thing has forced us to, to recognize that and, and reckon with it and, but embrace it, you know, maybe that's not a bad thing. Yeah. This whole, the whole time we've been in quarantine, I've been thinking about CPE, uh, clinical pastoral education, which for those of you who haven't gone through it, it is a time of ministry, usually in a hospital setting or some kind of chaplaincy setting. And it's a process where you go out and you do ministry, you go to a, a, a hospital room, you walk in, and then afterwards there's this whole process for looking at what just happened. And you do it in a, in a group, you do it with a supervisor, you kind of pick it apart. But the thing about it is it really exposes so much within the person who's going to do the ministry. It's kind of less about the actual ministry to the person. And it really digs deep into like, what is going on in you mm. when this happened? And so this whole time it's like, but like what has been like, it's just exposing everything, right? Like it's, it's, it's exposing uh, systemic racism that has been, you know, there and not all of us have seen it, but now we are seeing it, right? It or is economic inequality, yes, it's, I'm assuming. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just exposing so much. It's like, it's like our, you know, nation, or, you know, a collective society is going through this clinical pastoral education process where, where um, we are having to do that hard work of looking back, of looking within and seeing all the things that are wrong that, that are just kind of bubbling up to the surface. Yeah. yeah. It's a collective humbling. Like I yeah. thought about when you, what you said about racism and, and I think there's a lot of people in this country. I was thinking about this the other day who understandably don't want to embrace this idea of systemic racism because they don't want to realize or reckon with the fact that this country has failed groups of people, you know, I mean, they don't want to because we have this, this pride in, in our country and this sort of nationalistic, like, identity, right? But, but then we're having to, to reckon with these truths that, that can't really be, you know, mm -hmm. ignored anymore. And, and I think, and so, so I, 
this whole issue, just the, the whole race issue. And I think COVID is doing the same thing. So I think a lot of people would, I mean, it depends on your opinion, but I think many people would say our country has not dealt with this virus particularly well. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's an opinion I recognize, but, but I think a lot of people have that dissatisfaction. Mm. So yeah, it's like this, this whole, like, it's almost like thinking that you're really good at something like, and then realizing that you're actually not as good as it, it, as good at it Mm. as you thought or something like that. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. It's one of those things where, um, with like the, the, it totally botched response to the COVID-19 crisis and the Black Lives Matter thing. I think kind of, it really kind of brings people to uh, think about the fact that in a really real kind of way, you know, what do you do when after you've prided yourself on being number one and that's how you've seen your national identity. If you've principally mm-hmm. identified yourself as an American, your own yeah personal identity uh what if you're not or like what if the things that you're number one in uh, actually totally suck like uh number one in poor <laughs> poor public health management like number yeah. one in systemic racism like you know being number one isn't always the best thing and what it makes you do is it makes you sit there and, and really look at the fact that all of the institutions that you have trusted you can't right. trust and there's a whole group of people. There's actually a number of different groups of people, but what we're focusing on right now, the, like the black community, can tell you, we've always told you that. Yeah. Yeah. We've always right. told you you can't trust that as much as you think you can. Yeah, and that's the unhealthy response to it, obviously, right? Like, that, that's the response of fear, you know, that Absolutely. we saw in Charlottesville, you know, for instance, you know, of, you know, white men carrying tiki torches saying Jews will not replace us, right? Like that is, yep. I mean, that, that fear of like, I'm losing this identity, right? And like, yeah, so much of what we're reading about like white fragility, I mean, that's just like textbook, right? So, so that's like the unhealthy response. I'm going to steer it back to like your conversations. And I think what we've been listening to is our healthy responses to this for the most part, right? Like, and going back to what you said about like people trying to better themselves, you know, like it's almost like, you know, forgive me. I'm like a, an aspiring and the world's, you know, probably worst mystic, but um, that. I love that you're an aspiring mystic. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, if you're just, if you have to like aspire to it, you should just not, you're not one. You no, know, you're like right. a new Julian of Norwich, but in <laughs> in Winston Salem, North Carolina. <laughs> I was going to well, say, and if the if the aspiring mystic thing, if it, if you've been having trouble, have you tried just walling yourself into a room for a couple of years, <laughs> like on your own? Because that does seem to do the trick. That or living I in mean, a cave. I mean, yeah, my house yeah. is big, basically my anchor. You know, the anchoress, the anchorage. Yourself. <laughs> There's a little hole in the wall where people can pass through food through. You know, it's not yeah. communion because we can't do that right now, but right. it's, you know, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I feel like everyone is like, like all of these conversations that you've had, they all highlight that, well, no one has like really transcended, you know, I mean, no offense to our guests and to y'all, but like no one, no one has like reached that, but we're, we're aspiring, you know, to reach that kind of higher consciousness even of what does this all mean for me? And what does this all mean right now? You know, I mean, the fact that you talk to a teacher, you know, you talk to uh, someone in mental health, you know, social work, uh, chaplaincy, young families, 
you know, like you, we've kind of hit a big swath of, you know, of, of the general public right now and of the experience and everyone, everyone was working on it. Right. Yeah. That was like that tone of like, everyone's working on it. Everyone's trying to, trying to work something out. There's definitely that, like that work out your own salvation thing, right? Like mm-hmm. in a, Oh God, to quote St. Paul again, girl, I'm on a trembling today. I like kind <laughs> of roll, man. Right. Yeah. Um, but I'm so, curious, I have a question for the two of you. Um, do you think the church has done a good job of teaching people practical ways uh, to engage in life in a spiritual capacity? What might because, that look like, Caleb? Can you give us like an example of? Yeah, I think that maybe answers the question. Um, that's <laughs> 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 no. So I think what I'm, I think where I'm, where I'm coming from here is like yeah. getting the corporate worship thing kind of removed or having to do it on like yes. virtually seems to really pulled the rug out from under everybody. So you know, <laughs> you see, uh, like uh, there's this big thing where a lot of people will turn to like self-help books or spiritual writers like Eckhart Tolle, or they'll, they'll read stuff about stoicism or Buddhism or, or like yoga stuff. And they're like, oh, this really helps me manage my anxiety and stay spiritually grounded and feel connected to something beyond myself. And I'm like, okay, that's wonderful. And then I think to myself, well, what kind of tools like that has the church, like practical tools that you can do in your everyday life that isn't just like, uh, you know, God loves you, sit in the corner and think about it, um, <clears throat> which isn't necessarily bad, but like, I think think we offered people. I think the tools are there in books and and other things. I think that I'm not sure if the church and by the church, do you just mean like the Episcopal Church or do you mean like the church, like the mainline church or? I think let's just stick with like the Episcopal Church. But I I mean, you can probably Episcopal Church. I'm not sure. We'll stay. We'll stay in our lane. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not sure that we always do the best job. Like putting that stuff out there and making it accessible. Does that make sense? Like I remember several years ago, the clergy at Christ church in Raleigh, which is where I grew up. um, They bought me this stack of books just for me. It was like this whole Amazon order of like 20 books. And it was all like, you know, like I was reading like Frederick Buechner. He's one that I really like. Um, Rowan Williams, like uh, who's that? Um, And what's her name? Lamont and Lamont. Lamont. Um, yeah. yeah, just a whole, Nadia Boltz Weber, like just a whole swath of different, like, I guess you could call them some people like theologians, some just sort of, you know, reflective authors, whatever. But I was like amazed. It was like a treasure chest that I had never seen before. Like, I didn't know it was out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I feel, and some of that stuff did have some really practical stuff in there. So I feel like that stuff is out there, but I just don't know if the church is like putting it out there for people to find, if that makes mm. sense. Like, I feel like you might have to yeah. dig for it a little bit. Yeah, no, that um, does make sense. Yeah. yeah. I think actually calling it uh, like a treasure trove is actually really a good image because you had to, you had to dig for it. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and when I read, yeah. when I read people like Frederick Beekner and I, I would mention Jean Varnier, although he's had a controversy. Um, he has. Lately. Yeah. 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 Um, but when I read people like that, I do, I am kind of like, oh my God, these people completely understand what's going on in my head. How is that possible? You know, when you read yeah. someone and you're like, whoa, like I never knew anyone else felt that way. And like, here's a solution to possibly deal with it. You know, it, it is like a treasure trove. It's like finding mm. 
a gem or something. Anyway, yeah. that's kind of going off your question, Caleb. No, yeah, no, that, that was a good answer. And I like, I like that. I like that treasure trove kind of analogy too, especially since last week the reading was about uh, the the string of parables that Jesus said, and and one you know one of them is it's the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who finds a rare pearl and sells all to have it, which is like the world's worst merchant, right? Like you don't sell everything, you know, you you buy low and sell high. This person sold everything just to find just to buy this pearl or the other one was the tenant who finds the treasure in a field right and plows the field and discovers it and then buries it again like it's just so subversive right Mm -hmm. and then goes to the owner buys the field (laughs) i love it you know so like what if like the church or um or church leadership or you know uh, that we have this responsibility to like point to that treasure and make people help people to know you are that treasure. Right. Like, and it's not our responsibility to say like, well, you're not treasure that it's, it's more like a jeweler, you know, to like polish it up, right. To polish up that, that pearl, uh, to help it shine, to help you shine, to help, to help put the system in place where you can like actually afford to buy that field or, um, that you can realize that 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 God has has put everything else aside and and loves you, you know, more than anything else in the world. And so, yeah, I to answer your question, Caleb, it's a yes and no. It's a both and. It's yes. There's that element of we have been too focused on the Sunday morning thing for too long, and this is exposing that. Um, we have neglected a a sense of spirituality in all things. We have neglected the incarnation of God throughout the rest of the week and put it all in this box of Sunday. Now, not everywhere has done that. I know that. Um, And for some, that might be an entry point and they may not be ready for that yet, right? But um, it does expose that we have not maybe put enough stock into practices uh, that we are now learning. Like, yes, like you said, there's this treasure trove of, of centering prayer of, um, of things like that. Like I didn't take a class on centering prayer in seminary, which like might be surprising, right? Like mm-hmm. I didn't get into that until just a couple of years ago. And it's made a huge difference in my life of having some morning time of, you know, I guess traditionally in the evangelical world, they called it like the, you know, the devotional, but like morning, like sit or like breathing, you know, centering prayer, focusing on a word for me, it's, it's Abba because I can say it's, you know, the first two letters of the alphabet, me father. And I can say it, you know, with the out breath and the in breath, you know, but people don't know that people don't know about those practices. One of the things is, and I think specifically with us, and I don't know that this is bad, I think we just focus so much on corporate prayer, like doing things together, that we overshoot the runway a little bit on that and forget that it, there's, it's a both and with public and private. And, uh, you know, honestly, in our culture, the more we privatize religion and spiritual practice and like it becomes a personal thing, you know, the more we're kind of missing people in moments where 
it might be really helpful for them to have spiritual guidance if we focus almost exclusively or even principally on the corporate aspect of it. Yeah. I don't think you have to let that go. I think, I mean, yeah, we lose an intrinsic part of our identity if we let it go. But what I think this has kind of shown me is we've lost an intrinsic part of our identity by letting the, by, by taking just as seriously the idea that we need to equip people to deal yeah. with life in a spiritual way, in a practical way. We're, we're talking about ethics, really. I mean, we're talking about like, but if we say that word, people are like, eh, you know, um, like they start twitching, um, especially Episcopalians, because like we get real squidgy about, you know, telling people about what they can and can't do. Because again, going back to history of, of you know, whether it's Puritanism or, um, you know, anti-Catholicism, that, yeah, it was, it was just kind of like, well... We're just going to like put this thing out there and then people can figure it out for themselves. Right. Yeah. We have this prayer book, which is a, I would say a treasure trove of things, you know, of, of prayers, of practices that you can do with it. And yet we don't really treat it as such. Like um, I think priests know how to use it. Maybe for the most part, some of them do. If you give us a few minutes, we can normally figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I still don't know where that prayer is that you talked about, but, um, but, um, but like, we don't, oh, we don't, we don't, oh, you uh, did. Yeah. <laughs> Good. But go, ahead. go ahead. I'll introduce it later. Yeah. All right. I'll be interested. <laughs> it's yeah. been, it's been gnawing at like the back of my mind this whole time, but anyways, no. So um, yeah, like we, we really don't, I think live into this realm of, telling people what to do because we really, we really shy away from it. But I think that there's a way to nudge people towards practices and talk about uh, ethics in a way that we can uh, promote and uh, model some of these, some of these things that we're talking about, right. Uh, That are not just the, that are some of the individual prayer practices, right. Especially, I think about my students too, that really when I started doing, when I started doing campus ministry, I I had this thought that like, well, yeah, like students really don't want to be, they don't want to hear like, do, do this and don't do this. Right. Um, For the most part. And to some degree I was right, but there was also this other element that I've heard over the years. And that is actually, I feel so lost. I just want someone to tell me, like what, how, how to, how to do this? Yeah. Cause I don't know how. Yeah. And so yeah, I well, think that's, that's that voice of like, that's what's been missing because they yeah. didn't get it in youth group because it was just like, we prayed and maybe, and um, we did some games and then everyone went home, you know, it, it, there wasn't enough meaning there and maybe their church could be to blame for that too. But there was just no, there was no kind of grounding in any type of spiritual practice. And I'm like, and what I hear in these conversations with people are like, I'm discovering this practice. Because each, both of you asked, like, what are you doing to keep grounded? You know, what are you doing to keep grounded during this time? And I loved folks answers. That was really interesting for me to hear. Yeah. Well, and for them to realize, for them to, to find it, in a way, like, sometimes I think when we talk about disciplines, people are like, oh, discipline, you know, like, kind of like what you were saying, like, almost like, we're like, oh, like, I don't want to have to, that sounds restrictive, you know, but, but actually what you find in it is like this, this 
you regain this wholeness or something within you that is so like life-giving and, and freeing. That's the irony of it. People think it's going to be like restrictive and like, you know, not, you're not, you have to conform to something, but actually like it's freeing. I guess you could say that about religion as a whole, you know, organized religion, but, but that's kind of, yeah. Like people are realizing, okay, like this is actually something that practically helps. It's not just some like, practice that I like have to do if that makes sense yeah and I think there's actually a really liberating um effect that comes with like some kind of regularized practice I think there is also a difference in telling someone what to do and guiding someone through something um and I think this is maybe where this James was talking about right like like we've all we've almost overcompensated because we we don't want to tell people what to do right because we we believe you know that people should be able to do what they want but at the same time like as you said caleb like we need to be able to give people yeah and i think this comes down to this comes down to like what has been the practice of people who assume church leadership whether or not they're ordained or a lay person i don't know that it matters because the thing about it is um you probably don't have to like command anyone to do something or force anyone to do something or threaten someone with like eternal hellfire or if they don't say their prayers if you yourself are like a person who is well grounded handles things and displays the kind of grace so like if you have not done it yourself and you have not experienced it right so if you just think god is like a thing you talk about rather than a reality that you experience and that you live in then yeah people are going to take that as like a oh you're just telling me what to do but like if you've if it's something that you know and is is showing like actual good fruits in your life mm-hmm. people would probably want to know what on okay. earth you're doing yeah. <laughs> right. um and then that's how you can guide people through something but you but what we have to we have to be on the path to guide people down the path right you can't just like stand up on a rock and be like go that way right like, nobody likes that person right yeah so wrapping up the wrap up here so favorite, uh, favorite moments uh, of this season, uh, favorite quotes uh, to kind of end on here. Do y'all have a favorite moment? For me, yeah. the first one that comes to mind is just that first episode where I was talking to my roommate. Um, I feel like she and I have such a special bond. Um, and it's, it's cool to me because she and I have, like, honestly, pretty different theological perspectives. We just grew up in, you know, different I mean, she grew up in a Southern Baptist congregation and was, is more conservative. Um, but we're able to connect on this like very human level. And we both have this fundamental, like we're both drawn to God in a way that's very similar. And so that, I think when, when I was having that conversation with her, it just like, that was really impressed on upon me, you know, and that, and that made me, it just made me happy, I guess. And it, it was humbling. And yeah, I just really enjoyed that episode. I mean, we have conversations like that all the time, but it was cool to like show that to other people. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from the ones that I did, I, I think the episode with Mary who worked in the hospital, I think my favorite thing was um, how much she hated being called a shiro. And <laughs> how she really didn't like being talked down to and was like, you know, very like, okay, you support essential workers, like put your money where your mouth is and quit like paying a plane to like fly over the building and tell me how awesome I am. Um, Like equip us to do the job and then show us that you appreciate us. With Laura, I really appreciated, she embodied this quote from Carl Jung that I have always really liked, which is a bidden or unbidden God is present. 
um, that is like literally her entire like, like mm-hmm. if I could boil down her perspective, <laughs> uh, that is what I would say. And she's like, she, she was a really great example of like what it means to really live your life as if that's true. And uh, with Kristen and Zandra, actually, I think it sort of came after the interview. I can't remember if it was part of it or not, but they were talking about what happened uh, when one of them went back to school for a week after spring break. Because uh, this really just embodied the chaos, right? Went back to school for, for a week after spring break, and then they sent everybody home. And she was like, it was like the fall of Saigon. Like, it was absolute chaos everywhere. And I really am like, <laughs> I have used that image so much ever since then, whenever I just see something else on the news that's just, like, completely falling apart at the seams. So I think those were kind of my, my uh, yeah, when I was, like, having those conversations, I was just like, those are the things that really stuck out to me. Yeah. Yeah. Love it like one of the other things I really enjoyed about it was like asking people how they're staying grounded. Cause I've listened to a lot of podcasts and stuff and uh, they're always like asking people like, Oh, how do you feel? And they want like the most explosive answer. So it that kind of felt nice to just be like, so, you know, things are um, difficult. How are you taking care of yourself? And like to be like, not someone's therapist and ask them that. And to like say that this is actually an important part of, of, of why we're even doing this podcast is because we want to help people figure out how to navigate this and show them that you actually can. I really appreciated that that aspect of it, um, and I think that's something that the church can learn from. Is like, what yeah. like where are people finding spiritual consolation and grounding in a moment like this? And then also, you know, if there's someone who's like, I don't know that I am staying grounded right now. If that's not like a cry for help coming right to the church's ears, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah. And like, what is our response to that? Um, as people who firmly believe um, that people who are suffering ought to be consoled. I mean, last time I checked, that was something that Jesus was really like kind of specific about and giving people tools to be like, not just be consoled, but then like also like embody that consolation and maybe be that consolation for others. Absolutely. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll be on a short break, but we'll release some bonus episodes while you wait anticipatorily uh, with bated breath for season two. Exciting news. For the next season, we'll be talking big issues, uh, three big issues, in fact, um, with three interviews each with young adult voices or those who work in a relevant field. And we'll be covering things like vocation, Uh, What does God want me to do with my one big beautiful life? Uh, Sex and embodiment, hope and fear, and and so much more. And we hope you'll stay tuned for these stories and for so much more with and also with y'all. We are a production of the Episcopal Diocese of North Carolina. And to find out more, please visit episdionc.org. If you want, leave us a review or rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts. God thinks you're fabulous, <laughs> fabulous, fabulous, and delights in you. And we're wishing you love from the source of love, God the Almighty, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace, and thanks a lot for listening. Mm-hmm.